Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. The 84th Psalm, as you probably saw in our reading of it, is, is similar to the Songs of Ascents as its focus is worship. It directs us to Zion. It even emphasizes the temple. And within the psalm, we find characteristics. We find characteristics of a hymn, characteristics of a prayer, even of a lament. And within the psalm, there is a longing, but also the oft-repeated word, blessed. Blessed are those who dwell in the Lord's house. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. And blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And, and blessed are we, right? Blessed are we as we read and we sing and we meditate upon this psalm. The psalm is identified, and the reason why I read the introduction, is identified as a psalm of the sons of Korah, who were, in summary, the liturgical singers of temple worship. But we don't know who the individual author is here. He's unidentified. Perhaps he was a Korite. We don't know. Also a mystery is the note to the choir master, according to the Giddith. Fascinatingly enough, it's a word that is derived from the Hebrew word for wine press. And so some scholars say, well, maybe it was a tune sung during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, in which there was, we might say, imbibing. Uh, either way, what is not a mystery to us in this psalm is its setting. It is set in the temple, the house of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple is the specific place of the manifest presence of the Lord. The psalm even begins this way, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Of course, as soon as we read that, we do need to remember that God dwells is not to say that God is confined. Remember, as it was introduced today in the scripture reading, that when Solomon dedicated the temple, he made this crystal clear. In his prayer, he said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold! Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And so the temple did not, the temple could not hold he who is. But he chose to manifest his presence there, to dwell in his temple for his glory and for the good of his people. The psalmist conveys this through the varied references of God. In fact, a study all on its own, unrelated to this, would just simply be to go through the psalm and circle the different ways in which the psalmist cries out to God. He cries out to the Lord, to the living God, to my King and my God, to the Lord of hosts, or to the Lord of arm, angel armies. He cries out to the Lord God of hosts, and to the God of Jacob, and of course to God. 
Each of God's name in this emphasizes a unique characteristic. The psalmist is intentionally drawing upon this as he sings. And so understanding this, it is no wonder that the psalmist is, and this is not hyperbole, he is ecstatic. He is ecstatic that God has chosen to manifest his presence in the temple. That he may come and worship the Lord on earth as he is in heaven. The temple was indeed, read the scriptures, you'll find this clearly, it was indeed a beautiful masterpiece of design and decor. It was worthy of aesthetic regard. But that's not what made it lovely. It was indeed a place of national recognition, a monument set upon Mount Zion, testifying by, to all who would look up to it of one nation, a covenanted kingdom under God. But that's not what made it lovely. The temple was lovely because it was the dwelling place of the Lord among His people. And all who come to worship the Lord in His temple, they are blessed to worship. They are blessed to worship. Now, the psalmist views worshiping the Lord is anything but flippant. This would be a good psalm to introduce in an age of casual and flippant worship. Right? I mean, what does he say as he enters the courts to worship? He says, My soul longs, pause, emphasis, yes, faints. That's ecstatic, right? I mean, that is intense. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. The courts are the, they're the place of assembly, the place of gathered worship to worship the living God. To be at the point of fainting is to understand the reverence and awe required to worship God rightly. To long for the place of God's presence is a pure desire. I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes it. He says, it's an appetite for God. I am hungry for God. I hunger to be blessed by God. I desire Him with the intensity of starving for Him. I think about it this way. Our short catechism begins, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And I think surely this psalm is but a glimpse of what it means to enjoy Him. To enjoy Him Forever. And the expression of this desire, it's not bottled up, is it? It's not a hidden desire. Nobody wonders what the psalmist is thinking and feeling. We know, don't we? And how does he express this? How does it explode forth? It explodes forth in joyful song. From the center of his being to the entirety of his body, so to speak... He sings for joy. Now, while we do not gather in the courts of ancient Israel's temple, we do gather every Lord's Day 
Every Lord's Day, we gather to worship in spirit and in truth. Not in a temporal temple on Mount Zion, but a temple of the Lord's creation. A temple of the Lord's presence. And by the indwelling of His Spirit and His promised presence among us as we assemble, you and I worship the true and living God. And part of this worship is, and is included, and as you have experienced and witnessed today, and as the Apostle Paul puts it, singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Hey folks, it's what we do. We sing to the Lord. Historians tell us that in the late first century, the philosopher Pliny went to the Roman emperor and he said, there are these folks called Christians. And here's what I've observed. They assemble on Sunday and they sing. (laughs) By the second century, church father Tertullian recorded, and we gather together on Sunday, and we sing from our hearts to the Lord. The point is, we've been assembling on Sundays and singing for a long, long time. (laughs) And so it will continue. Think about that. So it will continue throughout eternity that we have the pleasure of continuing To sing to the Lord God forever and ever. But it's not just singing, is it? But all of assembled worship that is truly a blessing. In fact, so captivating is the blessing for the psalmist. That look in the psalm. He never wants to leave. He wants to stay right there. In fact, he looks with envy... Look at the passage with me. He looks with envy to what? To the simple sparrow. To the nesting swallow. If they can reside in the temple, in the temple's crevices, in the temple's eaves, the psalmist says, why can't I? Why can't I be the little birdie who made its nest in the temple's eave? What a blessing it would be. I would never leave. And what about those who serve and sing in the temple? Are they not blessed for continually worshiping in the presence of the Lord God Almighty? So whether swallow or servant, the psalmist longs to remain in the assembled presence of the Lord. In the Anglican tradition, this is part of the rationale behind morning prayer And even song. Gathering and worshiping the Lord in the morning and in the evening. In our age, many are doing their best just to make it on Sunday morning, right? If that. Oh, that God would give us a renewed zeal. Would give us an appetite to worship Him regularly and faithfully. Oh, that Sunday, that the Lord's Day would be the pinnacle of our week. 
that we would look through the week forward to it. And from it, the blessing that flows. For when we assemble in worship as the church militant, we join the church triumphant in heavenly praise to the Lord our God. Remember this. Remember this. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are already, past tense, we are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So think about what that means. It means that when we gather to worship, we join in heavenly chorus, so to speak. And in that moment, in this moment, we receive but a taste of heaven. In this moment, as we gather, we are already seated in the heavenly places. And so in this moment, as we assemble, we are getting but a taste of heaven. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good for all who do are blessed. But the reality is, this side of heaven, we depart from assembled worship into the week ahead of us, into the world. And from a taste of heaven on Sunday, it can smell like hell on Monday. But absence from assembled worship does not mean absence from the Lord. Monday, or, or any other day of the week that ends in Y, is never void of God. For the one whose strength, for the one whose refuge is in the Lord. And nor does the path of your life, or the circumstances of each and every day, dictate the source of your strength. The problems that you and I face on a daily basis, the complications, that's not where we get our strength. No, our strength comes from the Lord. Blessed are those, the psalmist says, whose strength is in the Lord. Blessed are we when our strength is in the Lord. This means that when we encounter trials, when we encounter tribulations, or simply, well, simply the ordinary struggles of the day, we are not alone. We did not leave God back at the temple, so to speak. The psalmist says that we may go through the valley of Baca, or you could translate that, the valley of weeping. And sometimes, friends, you know that valley can seem long, and it can seem dry. But as we go through that valley of weeping, and even in that valley, we are not alone. We are not left to our own. The Lord strengthens us. And the Lord provides exactly what we need in that moment. In that valley of Baca. And when the Lord is our strength, even in trials, He gives us joy. So it is for the child of God... In, and I love verse 5. In whose heart are the highways to Zion. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that. That in my heart are the highways to Zion. The paths. And though we're not promised a, a pilgrimage of ease in our sanctification, are we? But with the Lord, 
there is always a path of joyful praise. Always a path of joyful praise. I was born in the early 70s, child of the 80s, grew up in that era, and I don't even remember who sang it, but there was this popular song, maybe the only popular Christian song I ever listened to, that was titled, I Will Praise You in the Storm. Remember that? Oh man, that's so true. I don't remember the rest of the lyrics, so don't send me an email that says, did you know? I just thought it was a great chorus, right? And it really was. Because it's true, I can even praise God in the storm. We may, in fact, even praise Him in what feels like the wilderness, as the psalmist describes it here. But He's there. He's there leading us from the springs of life to the pools of refreshment. Always, always providing for our good. And here's the beautiful thing about God's provision. Even when we don't think it's good, doesn't feel like good, and we want to call it something, anything but good, guess what? Romans chapter 8, friends. It's always good for those who are in Christ as He conforms us more and more to the image of His Son. And this is one of the beautiful things about assembling again and again Every Lord's Day. Because think about it. We come in after a week filled with the Lord's praiseworthy provision. Now just stop for just a moment. And you just think about, this is the first day of the week. Right? Don't let the world confuse you. Monday's not the first day of the week. This is the first day of the week, right? You just completed a week. Can you just think in your mind of three things that the Lord provided for you that you would praise Him for? You went past three, didn't you? Five. Went past five, didn't you? Ten. If you're struggling to get to ten, you need to spend some time with the Lord, right? Because what happens is, is when we focus on what the Lord provides, we'll be here for days. The Lord provides for us over and over and over again. And guess what? The week ends, the new week begins, and guess what we get to do? We get to come right back here, and now it's time again. Funny how that happens. Sunday just keeps on coming. Again, and again, and again, and we assemble to praise Him together. And so from weekday provision to Sunday praise, we go from what the psalmist describes, we go from strength to strength. We go from the strength that He provides in the valley of Baca to the strength that He provides as we assemble at Zion. Both come from the Lord. Both are worthy of His praise. He leads us from strength to strength. And we lift our prayers to the Lord who always gives an ear. He is always open to hear the prayers of His child for the sake of His anointed. Which when the psalm was originally written more than likely referenced the anointed king or the anointed priest. But guess what? We know who that pointed toward. The true anointed is the Lord Jesus Christ whose blood is our shield from judgment whose blood is our seal of fellowship. 
And so it is in Christ, it is in Christ alone that we are faithful to the worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And for in His perfect righteousness, in His atoning death, in His victorious resurrection, He secured our place in worship and He secured His eternal presence with us. If you are in Christ, you will never know a day apart from the Lord. Think about that. And when we consider, when, we, when you and I, when we consider the magnitude of the Lord's provision for us in Christ, at the very least, it yields a gratitude of trust and obedience, which leads us to worship. Worship is the logical outflow of the redeemed heart. A heart whose God is not an idol of the flesh, but the Lord God of heaven. And in this, we find that our desires and our appetites change. Many who come to faith later in life describe it candidly. Of how their appetites changed. All of us have experienced this as well, isn't it? It's amazing how the Lord just refines us. Over and over and over again. Changing our desires for the things of God. No longer are we satisfied with the provisions of the world. The flesh and the devil. I love the way that St. Augustine prayed. Our hearts are restless until they rest in the Lord. And those who rest in the Lord enjoy a taste of His Sabbath rest every single Lord's Day. Where we assemble as His beloved. It is where, remember, in Christ our desires change. It's where we want to be. It is where we want to be, for a day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Worshiping in the presence of the Lord is better than... Insert your answer. Worshiping in the courts of the Lord is better than... What could be better? The one whose soul longs, yes, faints... For the courts of the Lord desires to be nowhere else but here. There is nothing else in the world or that the world can offer that satisfies the longing of the converted heart. And yes, I know this and I'm not blind to this. I know that all of us have a sinful flesh that can easily attach to things of the world. Just as quick as I can snap my finger and we can begin to get a taste for things, sadly, of the world. And it can affect our coming and assembling in worship. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that is perversion. That is not how God has redeemed us to be. We are redeemed people that can say, for a day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. For a child of God, the only answer to where else is heaven. That's the only other option that can be better than assembling and worshiping the Lord. 
The one whose soul longs, yes, faints for the Lord, desires to be nowhere else. And then the psalmist gives us a beautiful comparison. He says, I would rather be, that's the key, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wicked, of wickedness. And think about what he's saying. Even the most humble vocations in the temple is better than the way of the world. The lowliest of temple servants, the doorkeeper, scholars tell us, was merely a ticket taker at the door. We think about how, how undistinguished, how mundane, how boring when compared with all the world has to offer. I mean, come on. And the psalmist says, I'll take it. I'll take it. Ticket taker, sign me up. I'll take it. I'd rather be a nobody with the Lord and His people than a somebody with the wicked. For the Lord builds His house, you see. Note the distinction here between house of the Lord and tents of the wicked. The Lord builds His house stone by living stone, Peter says, a people for God's eternal possession, a people of His eternal presence. But the temporal tents of the wicked, they will be destroyed forever. And for His temple, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He guides us by the illumination of His Word And protects us by the abiding presence of His Spirit. He bestows His saving favor upon us in Christ. And He honors us by calling us His own. Indeed, as the psalmist says here, the Lord bestows favor and honor. And He bestows it upon us in Christ. And Christ alone. Think about this with me in conclusion. Have you ever considered the privilege of being called a Christian? Or has it become so commonplace that you've forgotten what a beautiful thing that is? Have you considered recently, or will you consider with me even today, the high privilege for someone to say, Oh, you're a Christian? The Apostle Paul in describing what a high privilege that is. He says, and I'm paraphrasing, consider the magnitude of what this means. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Consider that privilege. That'll take you the rest of your life, won't it? Just that alone. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, consider this privilege. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Park there and think about that privilege. But he doesn't stop. He says, consider this privilege, that He has blessed us in the Beloved, in His church. But wait, there's more. He says, consider this privilege. 
In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. He doesn't stop there, but He says, consider this privilege in all wisdom and insight He is making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let that sink in. And someone say, oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I am. Oh, praise God that I am. Now, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 1 and tell you about the privilege. Well, you might add that. You might not. I'm a preacher. I'd probably do that. But the point is this, that if you were in Christ, you were saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's a gift from God. And therefore, you and I are His workmanship. Created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so such is the depth. Such is the richness of the gospel through which we are saved and through which we are named. How can we be anything but grateful to worship the Lord? And based on this short description of how God has blessed us, each one of us can now confess with the psalmist. Look at the conclusion of the psalm with me. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. For you see, in Christ and in Christ alone, He has lavished upon us the riches of His grace. Undoubtedly, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. I want us to, in conclusion, if you have a bulletin in front of you, I want you to look back at the psalm, the song that we sang earlier in the service. And the reason I'm doing this is because the words of this are phenomenal, and I don't want you to miss it, but also it's a good conclusion to my sermon. I want you to look at verse 3 with me. And based on what you have heard today, now look at this verse with me. Here we come, thy name to praise. Let us feel thy presence near. May thy glory meet our eyes while we in thy house appear. Here afford us, Lord, a taste of our everlasting feast. And then the last verse. May thy gospel's joyful sound conquer sinners, comfort saints. May the fruits of grace abound, bring relief for all complaints. Thus may all our Sabbaths prove till we join the church above. That's good theology. That's good prayer. Beloved in Christ, truly, we are blessed to worship. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you that in Christ and Christ alone, that you have provided us the means by which we may enter into your courts and worship you. Oh God, give us a hunger. Give us an appetite for you to worship you. Renew in us a zeal to assemble with our brothers and sisters on the Lord's day to worship you. For you are so gracious to meet with us and to be glorified through our simple praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org. Thank you.